0: The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. 15 minutes long because my guest speaking fees are way too high. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List. Uh, today in my special podcasting recording studio, I have a special guest, uh, Glenn Voss, a pharmacist here at Avera. Uh, Glenn, uh, give me a one-liner introducing yourself, and then we'll uh, get to the topic today. So, Glenn Voss, Director of Clinical Pharmacy for Avera McKennan Hospital. Perfect. So, uh, Glenn, we what are we talking about today? We're talking about biosimilars, correct? That's correct. Okay, so... Uh, first of all, let me ask the stupid question, because this is Primary Care Pod, and we, you know, we're not you know high-level people, we're just primary care physicians on the ground, right? So we, uh, what are biosimilar drugs? What are they?
1: Okay, well, I think I need to start maybe back from that just a little bit in terms of, I think it's important that we understand what a biologic is. And uh, a number of medications uh, over the past several years have been produced that we classify as biologics which means that there's a human component to that uh, medicine um, that's being developed and has a biologic component in its development process. Okay. The, The focus from that then comes as we move into a next generation of products such as that. We now have items that are called biosimilars. Those products that are developed that are essentially... Um, determined to be equivalent and develop an equivalency status to the original biologic product.
0: Great, great. So in essence, uh, I'm hearing a little bit, this almost sounds like the process for generic drugs, for example. Is there a difference between a generic and a biosimilar? What are the differences?
1: I think that's a common uh, misconception that they are the same, that the biosimilar is essentially a different terminology for a generic medication. The difference is that when a biologic is made, it has a specific coding component and a very large matrix of understanding uh, within that molecule. The the ability to reproduce that in an identical formulation is not possible. Um, So the biosimilar has a a similar biologic structure, Um, to the original parent compound thus the term biosimilar comes out Um, that equivalency is what is actually understood and tested within the marketplace to determine when a biosimilar can make the market
0: perfect so can you give me an example of a biologic who that currently has a biosimilar for example Are, are there pretty good examples out there right now
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, currently, um, based on the day and time, uh, the, the approved FDA biolog- or biosimilars to biologics, I believe the number today would be considered 14. Okay. Um, so some of the more uh, typical ones that a primary care physician would be interested in, um, you may have heard a few years back we had a product called Basaglar. Um, developed that is a biosimilar to Lantus. Okay. All right. Which is a, an insulin product, obviously, with extended duration of activity and so on, that has been proven to be very effective in managing um, difficult diabetic patients. Basiclar really hasn't, is a product from Lilly that hasn't caught on um, to a great degree. Um, in terms of its utilization, as Lantis has uh, competitively moved its pricing and marketing um, to maintain its market share and its activity within that space. But the Basigler product is probably the one that I might be most familiar with a primary care situation.
0: Sure, and, and I know that there are some, you know, Remicade similars or, uh, or similar anti-rheumatologic drugs that uh, have biosimilars. Now, the entire idea, correct, is that we're talking about drugs that have uh, similar effects and similar side effect profiles, but are competitive in nature, I guess. Is that a, is that a fair way to say it, that these biosimilars are helping to make them more cost-effective or, com- or competitive in the marketplace? Is that
1: fair to say? Certainly, I think the, uh, the healthcare system and the overall economics of the healthcare system have really um, spurred on the generation of biosimilars from a component of delivery Uh, back to patients in hopes that we would significantly reduce the overall cost of healthcare on some very expensive medications, many of which have um, dollar figures in the annual uh, billing component in excess of $100,000 in annual cost of those medications. Yeah. So when we
0: talk about... um what to explain to patients for example if we use a biosimilar versus the biologic we're talking about the same side effect profiles correct the same types of benefits as we these are very very similar drugs correct
1: yeah exactly so the the goal with a biosimilar is they develop a testing structure within a singular disease process and once they've developed the the safety and efficacy within a singular disease process then they can be considered equivalent in their nature and be marketed for all indications that the original parent compound has. And the only limitation to that then is the component of a patent. And in some cases we have biosimilars that don't have all the indications just yet because of a patent structure associated to those. So probably a good example for that, you brought up uh, the component of Uh, Rheumatoid Arthritis and Remicade as as an example of a parent product. Uh, That's a good example where the, um, the marketed biosimilars today, of which there are three of them in the market that are biosimilar to Remicade, they went through a process to understand their safety and efficacy within one disease class. So you might see that in Rheumatoid Arthritis. Well, we also know that Remicade is used in hematologic disorders. It's used in dermatologic disorders as well as as uh, gastrointestinal disorders. So that particular product likely doesn't have a an equivalency study or a clinical study associated to each of those disease states, sure. but rather just one.
0: Sure. And uh, is there is there something that we as primary care physicians are really missing or need to know about these drugs in terms of whether well, they're just available or, or what are we missing? What, 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 should we, what should we know more of in the primary care world?
1: Well, I think the, the component is to, first of all, know what your, parent, your patients might be, uh, the medications that they might be on a little more clearly. Um, the goal there being how can we uh, best understand this, the side effect profiles Um, We do see a number of situations where um, side effects are being understood or or being delivered on patients where they come into a primary care physician because of a side effect that has been induced by potentially a biosimilar or a biologic in general. And it's that understanding of the biologics and their very significant uh, profiles of side effects that they do have um, that we want um, primary care to understand in a more clear fashion. Absolutely.
0: Uh, do we see a lot of these currently being used within the Avera footprint? I mean, is this something that we are seeing in our own patients uh, a lot of, or, or more of, or increasing
1: numbers? Currently today there have been, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there have been seven um, biosimilar products that uh, have been evaluated through the Um, service lines, or through the pharmacy and therapeutics committees within the Avera system. And at this point, um, as you described, uh, Remicade is probably the most broadly used product in that category. Um, But we've been using, um, in in some cases, uh, the insulin product I described of Basiglar Mm -hmm. um, has been used in that fashion, as well as a number of them in the hematologic area. Um, as we all know, that is a clearly expensive treatment area, and uh, for that component, red cell stimulants, white cell stimulants, um, that being reticrite, a biosimilar to epigen, um, is, is being utilized within all of our dialysis centers across the Avera footprint, um, and as well as... Uh, the white cell stimulant, uh, we have Zarzio being used and actually being required to be used by some insurance companies. So in some cases, uh, the biosimilar becomes the preferred agent also at um, the insurance provider of that patient and we have that situation that's also generating some confusion uh, to patients as well as to providers in our marketplace.
0: Okay, okay. Now, when we as primary care providers see a patient who's on one of these biosimilars, we just need to treat them if they were very similarly if they were on the, the biologic, correct in terms of lab monitoring or in terms of what we should expect in terms of negative effects. These should be incredibly similar, correct in terms of management
1: Absolutely. that safety profile should be very, very similar. Okay. Uh, the The one thing that the FDA has done, which, Maybe somewhat difficult to understand is the biosimilar actually in terms of if you pull a package insert or pull it up and look for product information on even the internet, um, you're going to find that the package insert of that product contains the original information of the parent product. Hmm. So for example, Renflexis, a biosimilar to uh, Remicade, has the very same essentially the same safety and efficacy profile and testing information, and even the study information relative to how Remicade was produced. So it's been able to, the FDA has allowed these companies to essentially utilize the information as well as the study information into their package inserts. So within that, you will find a very similar uh, safety profile, Um, you will find um, the studies that are associated to all the different indications for which that drug could be utilized, um, which can be a bit confusing as that's not how typically we as scientists within the healthcare industry think of how a drug presents to the market. Sure, absolutely. Uh,
0: Those were my big questions for biosimilars, but is there anything else that that you wanted to either talk about with biosimilars or that family practitioners needed to know about these, whether it be the class or the individual drugs as we were mentioning?
1: I think the two things that uh, maybe I'd like to talk about, uh, first of all, there's this term that's been coded by the FDA called interchangeability. And there are several states across the U.S. that have determined that they're not going to have an interchangeability uh, policy within within state government. Um, There are also states that have. The interesting part about that is the way that the FDA describes or developed the interchangeability policy that would allow them to be converted much like a generic medication by a pharmacist, so where you might write for something as a provider, and you would end up getting an interchangeable product without potentially knowing about it as the primary care uh, provider of that uh, for that patient
0: like a formulary change or a you know if it was cheaper or if it was the the preferred drug is that absolutely your... okay. okay
1: that they could do that without that activity being presented back to the provider we love that we love that yeah, yeah. you got you guys
0: just do that for us absolutely
1: well some sometimes that's the right thing to do sometimes it's a it's a matter of making sure that we as a we as a pharmacy system in South Dakota have not introduced that mm. because we would like to this biosimilar discussion to still be very much so a provider uh, patient discussion so that we have providers being very informed rather than us doing that kind of in the dark, so to speak. Absolutely. And uh, so in South Dakota, the interchangeability policy or uh, rules have not been set. And uh, I would suggest to some degree, I'm an opponent of doing so. Sure. Um, I would like to keep this in more closely connected to the patient practitioner interaction and exchange of information. Sure. So that's a that's certainly one that's out there. The goal of that then would be once the other side of that is none of the uh, biosimilar companies have went after interchangeability, um, and as you discuss that with a a manufacturer of a biosimilar they're truly not interested in that logic. So why the FDA went to that length, I'm somewhat unsure at this point. Okay, But nonetheless, um, until they're sure and until the biosimilar companies have an interest in that interchangeability legislation that the FDA has, um, we at Avera have really no interest in going down that road.
0: Sure. Is there a a particular reason aside from insurance purposes, besides the formulary reasons? Is there a particular reason why a patient might be switched from their biologic to a biosimilar, or why a biosimilar might be started in preference of the biosimilar, or is that is it just a case by case basis?
1: I don't. I don't believe that from a safety and efficacy. Or a patient response component that there's any reason to use any specific product. Okay. Um, they all have a, you know, the the biosimilar component and the way they're evaluated, and the safety and efficacy profile would say you should be able to initiate any one of those drugs with equal efficacy.
0: Not not to not to uh, muddy the waters, but they are in assess- they're in essence interchangeable. I mean, they are they are able to be used. Uh, but, very similarly.
1: Yes. There's yes. Certainly the inter- the, the similarity is there. The, um, should be no difference. The, there, there should be no difference in, in the patient's experience with, with that particular medication.
0: Well, good. Good. Uh, we are at our 15-minute mark that we like to keep our podcast under, but certainly we can go long today. Is there Are there other things about biosimilars that primary care need to know?
1: I think the, the goal here is that we know that, The term biosimilar, the term biologic is one that we want to have addressed out there uh, from a standpoint of a different set of side effects and side effect profiles that we would like primary care to be um, more in tune to and more understanding of. Uh, We certainly know that uh, the immune suppression component of these medications is very significant in many cases. Uh, We also know that there are... Um, significant requirements that must be understood prior to initiation of, of, of those treatments. And that's the component that we certainly want uh, primary care aware of. Well,
0: perfect. Well, Glenn, uh, thanks for coming on today. Uh, anything else that you want uh, the listeners, the primary care physicians uh, at Avera, to know or to... To better understand about the pharmacy department anything else or should we save that for another day we can save that for another day perfect i'll have you back i'll hold you to that well thanks everybody for tuning in today uh and uh you, we can check out more on the next episode uh there is more to come uh not to teaser it but there is more to come with the Varus pharmacy department talking about uh some other medications specifically about uh, uh heart failure and uh, optimal management so we'll get back to that another day Well, thanks everybody for tuning in so how'd we do today enjoy what you're listening to any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles, please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want to that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. Please check the episode details for links for free CME. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.